Hello, welcome to the full unedited version. Well, apart from obviously there are some edits because of things that we said which just are not apparently acceptable in any form of human society. But predominantly unedited version of Josie and Robin's book shambles. Hello, welcome to part two of the return of Stuart Lee to Book Shambles. Part one came out a few days ago, so make sure you listen to that before this because obviously this uh, follows directly on. There's not like an, there wasn't an ad break. We just kind of cut it a bit and this just follows straight on from that. But before we do that, a reminder, as usual, if you are enjoying the show, uh, please do go on to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and uh, leave us a comment or review, a five-star review. That really helps us out. And uh, also you can go to patreon.com slash bookshambles and make a pledge to the show there. There's lots of great rewards for those that pledge. And we're going to be having lots of extra bookshambles, extra bonus episodes and cosmic shambles stuff uh, for free coming in there in the coming weeks. Don't worry, if you, if you can't pledge or you're not pledging, all the normal Book Shambles episodes will still be going out for free uh, every week, but there'll be Book Shambles extras coming onto the Patreon. So we've got some chats with uh, some authors who've got new books coming out. We've talked to uh, lots of different people for short little episodes about their 10 favourite books of all time. So uh, the first one of those with Danny Wallace is coming out next week. So that's as little as uh, $1 an episode, uh, and you'll only get charged for a maximum of three a month. So $3 a month uh for that and you get lots of extra stuff and it helps us keep making the podcast and it would be remiss of us not to mention our albert hall shows uh the four book shambles lives that we're doing there with robin josie and some special guests uh the first guest we've announced is lucy green professor lucy green solar scientist and also the, the space shambles show in the main hall on june 15 hosted by robin and astronaut chris hadfield Tickets for all those shows are from the Cosmic Shambles uh, website, cosmicshambles.com. Go to the events pages there, or you can just go to the Royal Albert Hall website and search for Shambles. Okay, so now back to the episode with Robin Stew and Michael Legg subbing in for an ill Josie Long on this episode. And where we left it last time, uh, Robin had just introduced the Mojave Ethno-Psychiatry book he'd found at a second-hand bookshop in Toronto. I just wanted to quickly mention this because you gave me this book and I've started oh, right. reading it. And because I picked up this book about ethno well, psychiatry, I'm really jealous suicide, of you having that book. I am definitely at the very least going to lend it to you. And when I finished it, I may the even give it to you. Well, um, I'll give you something you'll like. Well, you've got this because you gave me two books. You gave me an Arthur Macken book, and you've been reading some Arthur Macken. This year, uh, yeah, this year. Yeah, yeah, last year. I don't know yeah. if you want to talk about him first. We'll see how he, we get on. He, but this is the book of the Hopi, and it's basically about their legends, their myths, the everything that lies behind their the, 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 the religious ideology yeah, and well, legends. I'm one of those annoying men, a middle-aged white men in the West, who I, who I appreciate should be hated, who are very suspicious of all the religious systems they grew up with, but find no end of useful poetry in some ridiculously obscure one, which yeah. is the, the belief systems and rituals of the of the Pueblo uh, peoples of the Southwest. I, I find, particularly as a comedian, I find them really, uh, really useful. I mean, this was very, this was republished, wasn't it? It was out of print for ages. Very hard to find. Frank Waters went and lived with the Hopi in the Southwest immediately after the war and uh, and wrote wrote about them. And he's written some brilliant novels as well. He's a sort of D. H. Lawrence of um, sort of D. H. Lawrence of the Southwest, where he has. You know, he's got he's got a novel called The Woman at Atawi Crossing, which is about some people having a relationship against the backdrop of the early nuclear tests out in the desert in New Mexico. 
and there's a scene where one of them, the two people are in love, one of them sees a huge phallic mushroom growing in a wood and they kick it to pieces, which couldn't be like, it's so like under the, in the spell of Lawrence where you take an incredibly obvious symbol. Instead of thinking, nah, that's too obvious, you go, what if we just do it more? So it's a mushroom crowd, it's a phallus, yeah. it gets kicked to bits, you know. And of course, Lawrence lived down there and hung out with all them lot uh, in that period. So I think they're very much in the, in the shadow of him. But I, I love Frank. Well, it's a great book, the book I, his novels are brilliant as well. Did you do you find that you in some ways have reverted to some of your your teenage tastes? There's a period of time. The reason I, I just say that is I, I think I was hugely into horror movies and stuff when I was eight years old, nine years, and then then it, I kind of when I got to, to my teens, I, I moved on a bit, broadened out, and then more recently I see like I, I picked up this book which I've, I've only just started on. I hope I put it in my bag. Uh, oh, there's a Steve. Aylett. We should always mention Steve Aylett. I forgot I bought that the other day. Great. Steve Aylett, who we mentioned a lot on the first podcast, Karloff Circus, uh, number four of the accomplished books. But I bought, uh, oh man, I haven't put it in my bag. It's uh, The House of Psychotic Women. And it's about a woman talking about her own uh, mental health uh, issues and her background, but intermingling it with films like uh, Possession and all of the kind of the way that, uh, and and a little bit, uh, though only in the introduction about films like Red Desert. But then, so it's a book about psychotic, films about psychotic individuals and horror and all of those things, but also it's a personal book about someone's own journey with their, their mental health. And I, I suddenly, you know, I returned in, in my 40s to go, and I want to read about, you know, Jonathan Rigby's Euro-Gothic, all about the kind of European Gothic film scene. Have you found it in some ways things like Book of the Hope he had returned to? Well, we're part of, we're part of a generation who, if you, if you watch Stranger Things on, um, on Netflix, you think, oh, yeah, that makes sense to me. I know what milieu those people are living in. Mm. They're into the, you know, early Dungeons and Dragons. They haven't got mobile phones. They, uh, they're, they're the last but one Clash album still exciting to them. Um, I mean, yeah. I, 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 as, as far as it, going back to things from your teens, I suppose, uh, right, I'm like a lot of near near 50-year-old parents, I'm time poor, you know, and I, and I, but I feel an obligation to, to discover new culture. But at the same time, it's comforting for me in the little time that I have to go back to things that are like the things that I knew about. And um, certainly not having to write about, not writing about music at all professionally now, it's a great relief to not feel obliged to keep up with it because it means I can go further down the wormholes of the things that I right. that yeah. I already liked. And um, I kind of feel on some level, probably a lot of people do, look, I've done my time now. I've tried to keep up with everything. Mm. And I, I don't really like, I go and see films from now and on the whole, I don't really like them because I don't like the editing. I don't like the sound effects. Mm. I don't like the way objects fall in slow motion and bounce. And that that's supposed to mean something, and I don't like. I thought Dunkirk was terrible. I thought, um, I thought that the Limehouse Golem was awful. Things that people seem to think were good, I just so I kind of give up on it really. Well, that is that that bit where you go, you don't have to constantly be modern. Like I, I spent yeah. New Year's Day in the the most upbeat way possible. I was given day off. I was allowed to go out on my own, and I went to see a triple bill of Ingmar Bergman's films about, uh, you know, trying to live in a godless universe as a priest. Right. Um, it was lovely. It was lots of single men with carrier bags all sitting together. And uh, But I, on modern films, because the only time I, I catch up with a lot of stuff is, is quite often on the plane, I watched War from the Planet of, War from the, Planet of the Apes, right. and I mm-hmm. thought it was bloody brilliant. It was great. Right. Have you not seen it? No. It's 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 beautiful. 
Uh, it's kind of really melancholy good. without, you know, it, there's no slow motion ball bouncing at all. There is a, a, a doll that later on does play a part in it. But that Even that drop is actually in normal speed, isn't it? 24 yeah. frames per second, just normal speed filming. And it's, I was quite, because someone said, no, it's really, really good. And it's like a proper film. Right. And yeah, you go, film. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's, it, it's not my like my dad I, at the end of it, I went to see it with my dad and he, at the end of it, his first response was, call that a war. My dad, I think, is fighting a lot of inner <laughs> monkeys. <laughs> Call that a war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the best film response ever is uh, the mother of uh, Pete Bainham, the uh, Welsh comedy writer who's now a huge success in LA who never returns my emails anymore. <laughs> his, mother, his mother watched Groundhog Day with him and at the end said it was very repetitive. <laughs> <laughs> See, the thing is, I, I totally agree with you, but it's got to be 15 years ago that um, Ronnie, you know, Ronnie Golden. Yeah. Ronnie Golden said to me, uh, I, I recommended some modern music, yeah. whatever it was, 15 years ago. And, uh, and he went, oh, I don't know. Um, I'll be honest with you. I've still got the last 40 years of recorded music to get through. <laughs> and I thought, what a pretentious wanker. But he's right. Yeah. He's right. Cause well, he'd have, been about, am, he'd have been about our age then, Ronnie Golden. Yeah. That's the weird thing, you know. Here I am swimming around and, you yeah. know, Alice Cooper's back catalogue. Yeah. yeah, we did that on tour actually. Me and uh, James Singley, my tour manager, we worked through the entire back catalogues of various groups, yeah. which is a fascinating thing to do. Oh, really great. helps. To, I mean, Dylan was was great fun this year. He got to the eighties, which is a struggle. Yeah, um, but you know, he takes someone massive like that, and by the end, you think, oh yeah, I've learned something. Great, absolutely right. Um, let's go through your books because right. uh, people complain otherwise. So you've got a small pile of books. I've got uh, a pile of books. Uh, which these are your books of two thousand things you've read. Well, in these are things I, I, I picked this up in a shop. Right, the beautiful poetry of Donald Trump. And I thought, oh, that would be rubbish. Some sort of funny cash in book. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious. It's by a bloke called Rob Sears. He's taken Trump's tweets and made poems out of them, as if Trump were a poet. And he's written an essay at the beginning about um, the ability of uh, about Trump as a poet. Um, it's a little-known alternative fact that the 45th president, Donald J. Trump, has long been a remarkable poet. This book aims to redress the oversight on the part of the literary world and showcase his finest and most revealing words. You can pick pretty much any one of them. Remember, these are all made from tweets that Trump has sent out and little bits of speeches. Look at this baby. This is a great, beautiful baby. It's young and beautiful and healthy. I love babies. What a baby. What a beautiful baby. Okay, that's enough. You can get the baby out of here. I like kids. I won't do anything to take care of them. They're ugly little and they don't work. Let's just pick any at random, right? My hands are normal hands. My hands are normal hands. I buy a slightly smaller than large glove. The five fingers represent the five key factors every entrepreneur dreaming of success must master. (laughs) (laughs) There's something going on that we don't know about. A lot of people are saying that bad things are happening out there. A lot of people are talking about it. I'm not saying that and I'm not a conspiracy person. I'm not going to say it because I'm not allowed to say it because I want to be politically correct. I know nothing about it. The people get what's going on. <laughs> Can I do this last one? Yeah, yeah. This is, I was on a train reading this, laughing out loud, and a succession of people were coming up to me going, what is that? And I had to tell them. <laughs> so that, treat yourself to the very, very best life has to offer. The most beautiful piece of chocolate cake. The world's greatest stakes. 
the best meatloaf in America, the best ties and shirts at the best prices, beautiful Humvees and rifles, a state-of-the-art missile defence system, the fantastic new F-35 fighter jet, exclusively available at Macy's, an armada, very powerful, luxury at its finest. You deserve it. <laughs> Rob Sears, the, the poetry of Donald Trump. Brilliant. And a lovely cover. Yeah. I mean, it's actually, he's photoshopped a picture of, uh, of um, Dylan Thomas, I think, uh, reclining on a bank and thinking about, uh, thinking about the meaning of life. Um, your next one is uh, Ian that. Sinclair's... Okay. Look, well, can we mention Ian Sinclair, okay, though? I'll tell you why, yeah. because Ian Sinclair is the reason that I very nearly didn't make it to a gig. Oh, right. Because I rang you up to say, where's Stoke Newington Town Hall? I've got lost. And as opposed to merely say, go straight down Church Street, blah, 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 you had to tell me the psychogeography of every building that I was going past and I had to stop and I nearly didn't and I feel that that's some of Ian Sinclair's fault that you can't just give oh, directions anymore no. no it was very enjoyable but yeah. it was just one of those times where I was late already and though some of the William Blake uh, anecdotes were intriguing and fascinating yeah well she's then she's Anna Laetitia Barbald is uh, just buried by the town hall the, one of the confidants of, uh, of Blake See, that would yeah. be lovely if you became the psychogeographic satnav the voice that, yeah. so everyone Whoops. would move in a a, a, a kind of elegiac pace. Well, what did you read? The, have you read this? The last I've only just one? started the, the last. Well, that's uh, another one. book, like like Kobeck's book, which is about a city changing under you, and how that extrapolates out into the world changing under you. It's about money moving into the city, people being moved out, the monetization of landscape and environment. You know, and and he's he, he, he's he's what I lo- what I love about Ian Sinclair, and it took me ages to work it out, is that he sort of. He's he kind of writes in character. He's an exaggerated version of himself. He's this sort of um, little um, obsessive little man who wanders around looking at things all the time and gets ideas from it and is disproportionately annoyed about certain kinds of things. It's a character we all recognise from from having to fabricate versions of ourselves for to do stand up. I think you have to create a kind of version of you of yourself. He's particularly obsessed with cyc- cyclists and the inconveniences they cause and also how they represent this sort of culture of young people living in a city and trying to make it exciting and uh, he's going about but this this last book the last of london is a great like analysis of what's happening to london but there's also loads of funny what's happening to london and by association the country there's loads of great stuff in it um like he's got into this habit of he's become obsessed with the sort of noise of people in london just jabbering away on um on mobile phones all the time and how this creates this strange sort of bricolage of information is it all right to read a bit out mm. okay he's on he's on the train i'm looking out and listening hard certain phrases are imprinted over the snake park the canal the jeffrey museum he's on a train in east london then the people start talking a weird crow man speaking from tokyo major johnson small dramas of strangers in transit who allow me to share an unearned and undesired intimacy I'm so happy I'm not doing the specials anymore. Look at them and there's nothing there, Mum. Coming into Canterbury Station a bit late. Could you get me a lager? I trust Jackie's judgment. So, my name's Sapphire. Put your money away. So, we got to the point where we were getting on each other's nerves. We have some space for a little while. You know Charles Dickens? He was a man in the Victorian period. I trust Jackie's judgment. I'm going to have a bit of a warm-up because I haven't stuck a ball in weeks. We had a good day in the Olympic swimming pool. Learning engagement. Where was it? Ealing Broadway. Put your money away. The Turkish crew in Hackney. Oh, yeah. The guy who does the ball 
Boiler checks in Braintree. Do I detect an Irish accent? So, my name is Sapphire. It's funny, in secondary school I was one of four Charlottes. They get first class on all flights. You run in with music or without. Thank you for your efforts, as ever. Your contributions are really appreciated. Put your money away. We want as many young women and flowers as possible. It's Shacklewell Lane. Someone or something is in the house. You saying your mum crazy, your sister crazy, they all crazy? I'm going to pick up a fridge now for a tenner, innit? No money can be paid in before September. I'll give you my card. I have money tucked away. No, no, I'm waiting to pay. Say again. Do I detect an Irish accent? She needs a restart, I think. Is Mirick still in the office? His phone was off. What approach do you have? Don't call me ever again. I'm just going to pick up a fridge now for a tenner, innit? Put your money away. Don't call me ever again. We want as many young women and flowers as possible. That's him sitting in a tube. We could all do that. And he's, he, he sort of has such fun with the... Um, with the landscape around him and the factors that he's the that shaping his perception of it. Um, the uh, let's move on then to because uh, that sounds very much like one of your tu- uh, train journeys, generally, Michael. Because you it's just all yeah. you can't yeah. shut down. Can, I mean, this is the problem I have with it's why I have insomnia. Is that's when I start to get all those conversations playing in my head. But you, when you are on any form of public transport, the ability for you to stand up and right. then confront someone and then later realise it's just a 12-year-old boy talking about trainers. Why well, did I throw them out I mean, the window? I mean, that is always the way. It's a massive sense of regret of of, of just trying to... It, it, you know, in your head, you sort of think, no, I'm doing the right thing. You're not. You're just making things far, far worse. Recently, I was on train. There was a guy listening to music out of his phone and there was a woman sitting next to me <sighs> who was doing exactly what you just did, sighing. But she sat next to me, and I'm just like, you know, it's not my job to go over and stop these people. Although I have taken on the role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, she eventually turns to me and goes, noisy, isn't he? And I snapped. What, her? Yeah. I went, why are you telling me? I mean, and which is ridiculous. She's completely innocent. She was just connecting to another person who might understand. And I went, the reason we're in this position is because no one says anything. And now, of course, speak, you know, having noise coming out of your phone, that's in a BT advert. Yeah, it's now completely... What? No- yes, it's completely normalised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we are doomed. Yeah, I know. I know. And, and, and it, that's created a situation yeah, where you're in conflict long, with her. Yeah, where you're, where you're in conflict with her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I know. And so, well, that, so it's that thing of, like, uh, them in, inventing an Apple screen, uh, a phone screen that you can dim for the for the cinema, not yeah. turn off, dim, it's right? Insane. It's, it's insane. So, yeah, yeah, put your phone on theatre mode. I mean, this is part of the problem. What? You say well, engaging in modern culture. I just can't do. It. I don't. I don't want to go to things and yeah. have to argue yeah. with people, right? Yeah. I don't want to. You know, I, I want to go to things where little old people are there with plastic bags, like Robin says, who aren't going to be on their phones. You know, mm. I just can't. I can't cope with it anymore. I can't yeah. cope with the conflict and fights, you know. And I do think there's something about the internet which has encouraged um, both my ridiculous... Uh, yeah. I'm going to use the word bravery. Yeah. Uh, but also other people's bravery to just act whatever way they want as well. Yeah. Because it's somehow... Because you're an avatar in the Tron world, Yeah. you can behave any way that you want. Yeah. Um, somehow now, I don't know. The good thing as well, this isn't just two old men... Whining about young people. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I've, I've, I feel very much. Well, you didn't see me coming on my hoverboard, did you? Um, but it was. Uh, but it is. It's not. It's not as if it's something where you go, oh, young people do this. It's universal. It's. It's a thing which is. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's. It's Adults. anything that disturbs yeah. the silence of reading or the silence of cinema. Yeah. That's or the why, silence of silence. Yeah. Just shut up. You could have heard the silence of God throughout 
winter light when I went to see it at the BFI. Imagine if, while we're trying to listen out for the silence of God, suddenly someone started to rustle. Yeah. That would have ruined Ingmar Bergman's vision of the silence of God. But no one did rustle. Everyone had even made sure they brought their best carrier bags. Slightly, <laughs> the more expensive carrier bags made of fine, non-rustly plastic. Um, so you, we better go through because I, I, okay, I don't want to This is the, have you can found the bit you want to read? Yeah, of course okay. you can. Yeah. Well, well, Dave Graney is an Australian rock bloke who started in the late seventies. Who I love. He was in a group called the Moodists, and now he makes records under his own name with his partner Claire Moore. Um, he's also a very, very, very good writer. Very, very, very good. That's from reading Donald Trump. That's what had Trump. He is a very, very good writer. The best. Treat yourself <laughs> to the luxurious Australian rock writer. But I was reading this on tour and I was reading loads of it out aloud to um, James Hingley, my tour manager, who's also been in bands, about Dave writing in this book, which is called Workshy, My Life as a Bludge. It's basically about how to be an artist, particularly a cult artist in the world, where you may not be known to people and you get treated in a particular way. It's about the economics and the and the, the psychological problems that it creates. This is about, in 1982, he's in the Moodist. They've probably been on the front of the enemy. They've made three albums. They get good reviews. They don't really make a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, uh, and that's what it was like. You know, That's what it's like for bands then. This is about how do you make work work. But he's got loads of stuff in this book about that strange half-life between where you're doing something and in the world that you're in, you're known and you have friends. But because the people at work, at work go to jongleurs mm-hmm. to see comedy and you've right. never performed there, they think you're some sort of charlatan. And it's, mm-hmm. a, it's really great. I don't know if this is available as a hard copy in the UK. You might have to find it from Australia. But you can download it. Work shy. My life is a bludge. And even if you don't know Dave or his music, it's really, really great about that life about London in the 80s as well where he's getting by in little forgotten bits of the town and you know because you've mentioned uh, These Immortal Souls and The Birthday Party yeah. I should also uh, that Lisa have you read the uh, the new comic book about Nick Cave no I haven't. Johnny Cash no. have you read it yet no no yet it's really good it's self made hero and it's uh, again it's one of those ones which uh, there there is some loose fact attached to then yeah. this kind of uh, mythic idea and various images of old west gunfighters and stuff and I thought uh, in fact I'll get you The Beguiling which if you do go to Toronto is a great. It's on on College Street. Fantastic comic shop. Like a real. It's not. It's it's just stacks and piles. It's it's in order. It's proper. Now this is so. I got this is pathetic. But I would get you to answer. Um, I'd never read any uh, Eisner until I read Contract with God about three weeks ago. Right. Right. That was a mistake, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, but I mean, as much as anything is. Um, so as much, much of having failed to read a comic is a mistake, then I suppose so. Yeah. I have to admit, I've really I've gone back to them a little bit now yeah. as well. Not again, not modern ones necessarily, but uh, but the I just bought um, the Signal from Space. Right. Oh, have you not read that no. one? Oh, okay. I thought you would have done. No. Oh, I'll keep going with it then. Anyway, yeah. that it is. It's it's a quite a bleak view of so this guy that he picks up a signal from space right. and it's about the way that then all again vested interests yeah. governmental interests the crushing of various people so that was and also this is another one that you might know about i'd never known about a uh, a series of kind of magazine stroke books uh, compiling bits of comic books called taboo no i don't know about that oh no, right no, no. I was really relying on yeah, you. Yeah. To, I, I bought four copies of full edition. There, there was one that had a little Penny Dreadful in it by right. Neil Gaiman for right. a Sweeney Todd 
uh, work that he was going to do, but it never went beyond, I think, actually being this little Penny Dreadful that drops oh, out right, the thing. Right. And it's got some uh, Jodorowsky, a really big yeah. Jodorowsky piece, which is the one where uh, the man who's lost his eyes is being collected by a, uh, an eagle or a falcon. Right. And it's also got early serialisation of lost girls. Right. And from hell, things like oh, that. Oh, right, wow. Well, I thought you were going to be the fountain of knowledge on that. Anyway, yeah. uh, they're quite interesting. So go to the Beguiling yes. it's, uh, if you live in Toronto. If you don't, go to Toronto. It's quite near the Niagara Falls, so do both. Go to Niagara Falls, nice, go to a really nice comic shop. Um, so we'll go through. Your, your, you have three left, and I don't okay. want to... Do you wanna... know what? I only, put, I only brought this in because, you know, about when I was a kid, I, you think there's so much stuff out there, and it would be great to read it all, and will we? When I was a kid, I had the Marks and Spencers Encyclopedia of Science Fiction published by Octopus Books, which was Marks and Spencer's in-house. And there was a, there was a, you know, they had these, these things out and they cash in sort of books where they could, like someone would knock them off in a day and they looked. Anyway, there was a, a chapter on religion in science fiction and there was a picture of a, there was a painting of a sort of alien being crucified and it said, Walter Miller's Canticle for Leibovitz deals with the idea of religion on other planets, right? And I've found a copy of Canticle for Leibovitz about 15 years ago Never got round to reading it. And it isn't about... I read it this summer. It isn't about that at all. I don't know why. <laughs> There's no alien gets crucified in it. It's about a monastery out in the southwest desert of America, of America that survives a nuclear war. And it's like the place where knowledge is kept and is passed on through history. And it was fantastic. And I just brought it in because I just thought, you know, you, you think, oh, what have I missed? I've owned this for nearly half my life and never even got it off the shelf and I know you have this you cart around these things don't you in hope mm-hmm. and eventually you have a cull and think probably never read that and this could have gone the way of that but I hung on to it I've just managed to damage it bringing in today though look oh. it's survived for all that time since the early well mid-50s. we'll get it rebound for you I we'll know, get the paperback mind. rebound because th- th- those are the kind of people who listen to this yeah there is those octopus. Very often they were Hamlin books, first of all, weren't yeah. they? Some of those kind of. And I love. I've, I've got a bunch of the the witchcraft and demonology ones. Oh, yeah, them, yeah. Which were fantastic, and they always basically had the same picture yeah. of the same naked woman yeah, yeah. leaping over a pentagram and yeah. stuff. And it, and that was, was part of the Tony lure. Arthur, you know, from Play no, it wasn't. Murphy. She was she was older than Tony yeah, Arthur at that point. I like the idea uh, of the Martin Spencer's book of demonology. Well, I, it wouldn't surprise me if it did because there's there's about four different all similar signs. And, and they've got one of the witchcraft and demonology. I can't remember which, which one that I bought quite recently, which is has really beautiful illustrations yeah. as well, and step by step how certain spells, but done oh. exactly in the same way as it would a normally be. Pour, yeah, right. it looks like yeah, yeah. pouring a cup of milk, but it's not milk, <laughs> and placing in the flour, but it's not flour. And you know, to, to try and rise <laughs> the different kind of you know, make sure the rites of spring were correct. It's fantastic. So yeah, if you've got a favourite witchcraft and demonology book from 1972 to 1981, do uh, send in. Uh, your favourites, preferably with a picture. Anyway, so, and your final two books, we have run out of time, but it doesn't okay, matter, well, you brought them in. Right. I, I, I read it, something by Ian Sinclair about Rosemary Tonks, who's a sort of forgotten poet of the of 60s London. Uh, so I found the, the, the re, reprinted book of her poems, which I thought were pr- pretty good. Some of them I don't understand. I, I, I can't understand a lot of um, a lot of uh, th- this sort of poetry. I find it difficult, but you can, see, you can feel the, the, the beauty of the structure of it. It's a rather sad story. She... Um, got divorced, no one knew what happened to her. In the late 80s, early 90s, she ended up in um, Hyde Park Corner, in Speaker's Corner every week, as a born-again Christian, haranguing people, and then uh, went off and and died, leaving no notes as to what was to happen to her work, having not written for decades. I have a terrible feeling that when I first came to London, I was probably, as a stupid young man, probably stood in front of her, shouting, What are you going on about? Shut up! 
Anyway, she wrote a lot of novels as well. They're all out of print. One of them that I have to find is called The Flounder, and it is about when Rosemary Tonks, it's an autobiographical satirical novel about when Rosemary Tonks was seconded to the radiophonic workshop to write words for an experimental piece by Delia Derbyshire. And they lived wow. together for about six months working on this. And then she hated the experience so much, she wrote a caustic novel about all the idiots that worked in the radiophonic workshop. It's out of print. I saw it online earlier wow. this year for a lot of money. Oh, and I didn't that's buy right it. Up my street. I didn't <laughs> buy it. And, and Richard, the sort of thing Richard Herring hates about me is this is I'm tight. and I've, Now I'm earning right. money, I still don't spend it. But the only person that's read it is Andy Miller, the, the book mm. obsessive, who read it in the in the British Library. Right. Year of Reading Dangerously, if you haven't read Andy, yeah, it, which is very much about... But the, I did find one of her books anyway, one of her novels, and I bought it in a second-hand shop, and it wasn't too much. And inside it, rather beautifully, is this letter from her, 46 Downshire Hill, writing to a literary reviewer of The Observer. Dear Mr... Al, 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 Alvarez, yeah. I wanted to send this to you. What, as in Al, Alvarez, yeah, who be, wrote The Savage it? God? It must be, Which yeah. is an incredible book about yeah, yeah. Uh, a hist- kind of history of suicide. Yeah, and... it must be. He must have been the literary editor yeah. of the... Uh, yeah, that's right. He would have been, I think, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to send this to you. There is a good deal of poetry in it. It's a novel, Emir. And I'm afraid it may get passed over by ordinary novel reviewers for this reason. Is there any chance of you reviewing it? Publication date, 15th of October. Copies just now going out for review. About that poem of mine, Orpheus in Soho, which you kindly accepted on behalf, of the, on behalf of the Observer in May, it's now September, is it near proof stage? I'm putting in a plea for it now and would be grateful for news. For me, this would be a good moment for it to appear. I would greatly appreciate a note about this if possible. Yours sincerely, Rosemary Tonks. Just a funny little snapshot of a person's life in beautiful calligraphic script from 46 Downshire Hill, Hampstead. 29th September 1963, which is where Delia Derbyshire stayed with her um, while working on her, her project. But it's just one of those funny things. I get this a lot with uh, all the books we've been talking about today. Everyone's owned a copy of it. And I know that's not the thing now, and we're supposed to look on screens. But the great thing about a book that you own is it may have a history, and it may have a letter from the person in it, or it may have been held by someone. I mean, this county called for Leibovitz has clearly been read before yeah. and i and i i like that about it but it's yeah psycho bibliography or whatever you want to call yeah. it because i that's why i love that when you sometimes buy books on online or you go into a bookstore and you goes oh this one's cheaper because it's marked yeah and very often the marks are little bits in the margins where you go that there was one that i had called something like the origin of the world and i can't remember if i've talked to it, named after the, the yeah. corbett uh, uh painting um and it was a book about it was something about the the history of the use of female genitalia in art, or one of those things. I found it in an Oxfam in Brighton, and it only had one sentence ringed out of the three hundred pages. One person had suddenly halfway through, like hundred page one hundred seventy three, went, "That was it. That was the sentence." And and I thought, Do you remember what that, it was? No, I can't, and I can't find my copy. <laughs> the, the thing that worries me is, I think what the the horror of it was. I got rid of it in one of those points of going. You have to get rid of some of the books in the house, and you you know where that bit where you yeah, go. Yeah. I don't want to get rid of any of them, and I think I sacrificed one of the more interesting underlinings. When I, I moved, when I moved, I went through. I, I noticed that some of my books had been owned by people that were names in their own right. Like the the book I had. Uh, Ithel uh, uh, Colquhoun was made out to Richard Parry who was an artist and a writer at the time and his wife was a his name I forget was a not wrote pulpy novels under a false and then I I looked at some of the books I've got about mythology and the occult one of them was owned by 
a doctor who was criminalised in the 1900s for 1800s for trying to provide um, contraception to working class women who wrote a book about it. And there were all sorts of strange people that when I googled their names, I could see why they would have owned that book and their dress squared up with who they were. Odd. We should mention that you have, have written an introduction to two of uh, Ithel Colquhoun, Kul- Kul- yeah, yeah, which yeah. is one, one about Cornwall and one about uh, Ireland. Yeah, yeah. And do you want to just name check oh, well, the yeah. publisher um, in there? Uh, well, they, uh, they, they were put, they were travelogues by Ithel Colquhoun, who's a surrealist artist, really. Uh, the Crying of the Wind and the Living Stones. The, 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 the Living Stone, the, the Crying of the Wind is the Irish one. That's the better one, I think, uh, because... Um, I think she is a travelogue around Ireland in the 50s, but I think she unwittingly writes a sort of autobiography about her own state of mind at the time in which the Irish landscape is very much altered by her perception of it in order to tell you things about what kind of mood she's in. And I now find myself in a kind of Ithil Colquhoun underworld uh, of people that are trying to get exhibitions for her work or get her a bit a bit known. Um, but they're they're both really good books. Yeah. See, I I knew nothing about her. Then I I got a copy of one of those books or both of them. Yeah. And then that great thing where now you are aware. You, oh, so, yeah. so Linda Sterling. Yeah. Uh, for instance, she had some work. It was at Southampton Art Gallery, which yeah. has quite a collection of, uh, I think, of her work and generally. Yeah. And she she had something that she created that was a reaction to her work. Yeah. And then I found that book. Was it Angels of Anarchy? The one that I got yeah, a copy of for you, which is me, all yeah. about female surrealists. Well, Linda Sterling. Linda Sterling did the cover of the. Buzz, you know, famously did the cover of the Buzzcocks first single, a lot of, uh, of orgasm addicts and a lot of early punk singles. And like a lot of us, this happens to all the time, doesn't it? She thought she was pioneering some form of sort of feminist collage. Uh, and then in the last few years, she's found out that Ithel was doing that in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, very similar work that looks like it could have been off a, right. a crass album sleeve. And um, <clears throat> I mean, I find this a lot with stand-up, you know, I think... Yes, I don't think anyone's ever done that before. <laughs> then you find some bloke in the music hall that's basically got a transcript from 1870 of the, the same thing. So that's yeah. why you hated Limehouse Gollum. You were watching it and you went, oh, no, my no, hat's look, just like well, Dan Lino's hat. I thought it wasn't... I, look, I'm becoming a, it's become a bit of a thing for me, Victorian Music Hall. But um, I just thought that film was... I, wanted, I, wanted, I thought someone's going to nail this because I reckon yeah. a lot of them, they weren't in theatres, they were in the back rooms of pubs. It would have been like up the creek, you know. It would have been... But actually, they made it more like um, Ducky or the Vauxhall Tavern, more sort of right. like a camp kitsch sort of thing, which is fine, but I would have liked to have seen... You wanted to look like Walter Sickett's painting of the Bedford, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Right, so that is... Thank you very much, uh, Stuart Lee. Thank you very much, Michael Legford. At the very last minute, <coughs> uh, at about 11 o'clock at night, I think I tweeted you, used social media uh, to get you yeah, to be ring me to Josie Long. Me. No, that's because I was trying to go to sleep and I'd just taken a blinking sleeping pill and I didn't want my phone to go off all the time. Do you take sleeping pills? Well, I, not, I mean, it was just because I've only just got back from Canada, so I'm all over it and I've got to get up at three in the morning tomorrow to go to Belfast. Are you all right? Yeah, those sleeping pills. Oh no, 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 they're not really. No, they didn't. I've been no. awake most of the night. Are they prescription or are you getting? Oh them no, 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 they're just no, no, no. It's, it's just they're they're very normal. <laughs> they're, uh, um, but anyway, they're not really sleeping pills. Well, clearly, what are they then? Well, they're just they're, they're like a big pink Starburst. pill that does everything. Because right. I've heard that the, if you a large pink pill is the most uh, it, it is the best kind of pill if you want placebo effect. People go, well, this is a large pink pill. It's not a large pink pill. It's a small strawberry flaving melatonin. Flaving? Flavor, flaving. Uh, uh, melatonin. You don't want to That's go down all. the sleeping pill route. No. no. Not yet. Not till I finish the work of poetry. You should uh, read um, a good book or something. That'll get you off. 
But what just, is the nowadays, just, just Michael? Anyway, Michael Leg, thank you. Welcome. Thank Bye. You. All the books, by the way, will be up online, uh, so there'll be a reading list. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a chummy podcast that manages to end with a sort of professorial dismissal. Of yeah, of course. <laughs> As if they now have got to go and do their work. They have got to read. You've put a lot of effort in. There's a lot of reading to be done. Um, I'm gonna... Thank you. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. Thank you.